I was sleeping around, just a horny young gay Having lots of sex and lots of careless ways Then I got the word from my drag mother Come on, little miss Now we work with ending HIV Supporting and informing our community Serving up a podcast celebration Across the generations And that is why we're here <laughs> This is a sexual transmission We're stiff And plays Hi, I'm Blaze. Hi, I'm Steph. And welcome to Sexual Transmission, a sex-positive podcast for the people. This week, we are celebrating Trans Week of Awareness, and we have a very special guest with us, the wonderful Gina. We are recording this podcast in a level three lockdown in Tamaki Makoto. Uh, so we are recording this on Zoom, but uh, we're very lucky to have Gina with us. So on with the show. On with the show! Kia ora, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Mama. Hi, darling. How are you? I am fantastic. How are you? Very good. That's good. And today we have a very, very special guest with us uh, to commemorate Trans Week of Awareness. This is a very special episode to commemorate Trans Week of Awareness. And we have the amazing, the incomparable, the legendary, the icon... Miss Gina! Oh my God, that's me. Kia ora, everybody. Kia ora, Gina. Welcome to Sexual Transmission. Oh, I thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, darling. Sexual transmission. Ah! Love that. Love that. That's the one, hun. (laughs) I'm here. I'm transparent, translucent, transmitting good vibes. (laughs) Gorge. We love that new emphasis. Emphasis. <laughs> Gorge. So, welcome. I mean, this is our second uh, podcast that we have recorded in a lockdown, and we're kind of finding our way through this process. <laughs> but it's just so exciting to have you here. And you are doing your own podcast in lockdown, aren't you? Yeah. Um, so I, I've done my own podcast for a few years. It's sort of had a couple of rebrandings and um, I was doing it on my own for a while and it just got really awkward. That's talking to myself. And I was like, oh, people are just going to think I'm egotistic, which is true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and one of my best friends or longest friends of mine, uh, Zach Delate, I was like, let's just turn on the microphones and talk shit and see how it goes. And we've got this really great chemistry because we've known each other for so long. We were best friends once upon a time. We actually had a very public falling out for a few years. We uh, didn't talk for a while and we were like enemies. It was weird. But then I think we matured and um, we've come back together. And I think because of that, we've got this like great chemistry where we're not afraid to like drag each other and call each other out because there's like a deep love behind the sort of rivalry that we've always had. Yeah, so we've done a few episodes. It's, it's a bit of fun. We just turn the microphone on and talk about shit. It's called Xena. It's our names together. Xena Worrying Princesses because the two of us just worry about everything, our public image, what people think about us. It's, we, can't, we can't help it. Like, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Available on all streaming services. Boom. Beautiful. We'll chuck that. We'll chuck a link to Xena Worrying Princesses in our show notes for anybody who's wanting to flack on over to Xena Worrying Princesses. Flat, 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 fly on over, darlings. (laughs) Well, thank you again for being here. Well, can I just say um, what an honour it is to be 
here because Blaze, like you are someone who is just a pillar in the community. You've done so much work for like ending HIV and stuff. So like I'm very honoured to be talking to you on this podcast and also your drag parents, Steph. I've, I've never met them in person. So it's very nice to be in the presence of the creator of Wednesday. Like, well, <laughs> Steph, Steph is the reason I'm here, honey. Yeah. Steph is the reason, like, Steph, Steph is <laughs> the springboard for it all. It's a really interesting meeting of minds that we have here for, um, especially for, you know, the, the subject that we're, we're thinking about today. And we were thinking it would be an interesting thing for us to kind of approach, you know, your journey through a similar journey that Blaze and I are kind of starting on with our um, our own non-binariness. Mm. I was really interested in, in talking to you about where your journey began, whether you came out as a trans woman and then found your way into being non-binary or was it sort of a, a, a beginning place with being non-binary and then sort of moving towards your transness? I mean, it's it's obviously very, very individual for everyone and it's interesting to hear different stories. Well, how long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my journey's been a long one and it's had a lot of changes over the years. I've taken on a lot of different labels and then removed them. And I think that's okay. I think it's fine to not uh, have to set yourself with labels and not be afraid to like be fluid and think, oh, this person can't make up their minds. They keep adopting whatever's the current label. And it's like, well, no, because the wording hasn't always been there for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. For me, I looked through my photo albums that my mum gave me when I turned 21. She gave me these photo albums of all these photos that she's had, school certificates, everything. I'm just like, oh, my God, my mum really does love me. <laughs> um, which, fuck my dad, though. Um, and so, like, there's photos of me at three years old at kindergarten. I'm in the dress. There's photos of me at 10 years old. I'm in the dress and my brother's in the bow tie. So there was always these images or these, like, little seeds planted of me being more feminine with the gender expression. And then obviously you get to sort of intermediate high school and the bullying starts for being different and being too feminine for a boy. And so I went into the closet with my gender. I, I didn't even know what gender was really. There was just boy and girl on that side. I didn't really know anything mm. more. And then you add sexuality into it. I was being attracted to my male friends. Why was that? And Anyway, I was in the closet for a very long time. Fast forward to when I was 18. So I'd left school at 16. 18, this is about 2007, 2008. YouTube was this like growing platform, but it was still kind of underground. Like it wasn't mainstream yet. And you had these sort of internet celebrities sort of coming up as creators. I, I think of, um, I don't know if you know Michael Buckley. He had a show called What the Buck. There was, uh, gross, Perez Hilton, but um, Chris Crocker, uh, who now uh, is Cara, mm. Jeffree Star, all those, like, problematic, uh, cancelled, but people that were, like, fluid with their gender expression, and I saw that and was like, what is this? Who are they? And so I started a YouTube channel in 2008 and started to wear a bit of makeup and uh, express myself in different ways, and I was like, oh, there's people in the world that are kind of like me. And so I eventually came out as a gay male and lived that life for a few years. I moved to Auckland because I'm, I'm a small town person. I'm from uh, Whakatane. And oh, so there was kind of no one like me in high school, I guess. And 
when I found this community of queer people on YouTube, I sort of felt at home. I just uploaded whatever I wanted to. Me dancing to Britney Spears, me putting on makeup. And as someone who in high school, I was in the closet, I was very shy. I never auditioned for the school musicals. I, I hated being in front of anyone, even in group social situations of more than a few people, I'd just be the quiet one. And now look at me, it's weird. <laughs> but I was always hiding that part of me. And through YouTube, I sort of got a bit more confidence. And then I was releasing my own, my own music and um, gave myself, if I'm talking too much, just, just like stop no, me. No, 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 go <laughs> for it. Keep going, honey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is your story. The, the we ego's love it. coming out. <laughs> So in my early 20s, I had this nickname, my birth name that I was assigned was Patrick. And oh, that's so weird to say out loud now. <laughs> and I had this nickname, Patty Boy. And it was around the time where Lady Gaga was sort of blowing up, I guess. And she is a drag queen, right? Mm, you know, absolutely. Lady Gaga oh, totally. is a persona. <laughs> Lady Gaga yeah. is a stage name. She, she was yeah. wearing the lashes, the wigs. And I loved that electronic music, that electronic pop music was sort of taking off again from what it, decades ago. And I love that idea of creating a, a persona and putting your art through that persona. And so I loved music. I love writing and producing videos. And so I sort of collectively put that all together, gave myself a stage name, Paddy Boy. And now Paddy Boy was, I look back and I'm like, oh, he was a drag king in a way. Cause like he was very glamorous, makeup, feminine stuff. And, but I would never wear that in public. I would never do that outside of the internet. And then it sort of got, you know, 2010, 12, and YouTube was now one of the biggest platforms on the internet. Everyone knew everyone on the internet. And so all the stuff that I'd been making over the years was now like in the public as well. And it was like, it gave me a perfect time to sort of transition my like queer self online to then offline. And so I started performing in clubs along K Road as Paddy Boy, then drag, I guess, sort of popped into my life. I started drag at 24. So like that's kind of late for these days because you got fucking drag queens at 16 slaying it. And I'm like, <laughs> you are not allowed to look that good. That is not fair. You have to start off busted. I'm sorry, but. <laughs> yeah, they come out of the womb. They're just oh. like. <laughs> oh, you've got you've got internet, you know, you've got like YouTube makeup tutorials to help you now. Like we didn't have that, my God. Absolutely. I'm there with you, darling. I was exactly <laughs> the same, my God. So upsetting. <laughs> so yeah, I started drag at 24 and found a new love for that gender expression. You know, I, I was always wanting to be a 90s female pop star, you know, like Britney and just like the, she was my queen. And then I found a new love for it via Gaga. And only a year into doing drag, uh, so 25 is when a, a switch clicked on. And not that I like them, but uh, Caitlyn Jenner, uh, they, that was around the time where they had come out and they had a little documentary series, which I watched and I, I enjoyed it for the, the guests that were on, definitely mm. not for Caitlyn. <laughs> and I guess a switch just sort of clicked on, was like, oh, am I trans? And I went to sleep that night thinking about it, thinking about it, had a dream about it, woke up and was like, Oh, yeah, I am. <laughs> it was that quick, which, um, yeah, just kind of made sense. I thought back on everything in my life and it kind of just made sense that I was always a feminine person. So I met with my GP, had to get multiple referrals, had like the psych test, make sure I'm not, you know, because for a while there being trans was still falling under the mental illness, I believe, mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I ended up 
starting hormones at the age of 25. And so I've been, yeah, so it's been like seven years of doing drag, six years of being on hormones. I moved back to Tauranga uh, where my mum was living to sort of have a break from Auckland because it was getting too much. And that was what sort of cleared my mind and helped me realise I was trans as well. So I had been on hormones for a few months. I was feeling quite comfortable with myself and made the move back to Auckland as me. And I, I shortened my name to just Patty. But Patty was kind of an easy gender fluid name. <laughs> quite lucky there. <laughs> but also with that binary pressure with being trans and also I don't like using this term, but I, I do because it explains it easier, but passing as a, as a trans person for safety reasons really and just to get by. I was all of a sudden wearing more makeup than I used to, more feminine makeup, um, feminine clothing, just to try and pass to make it like mm. believable, I guess, which is not a nice way to talk about it, but it's a survival thing, I guess. Mm. Being back in Auckland, I'd have to take public transport to work and you don't want someone to like harass you and things like that. And so for the first couple of years, it was very like trying to pass as a female. Mm. Doing drag at the same time, drag was sucking all of the feminine energy out of me. That Drag was my expression to be feminine and be this queen. So then when I was out of drag, I was like, oh, do I have to put on all this makeup? Like sometimes <laughs> I just want to like present however I want out of drag now because I, I, why, why should I have to feel pressured to look a certain way out of drag? I just want to be me out of drag. And so I started identifying as gender fluid because like some days I would look more feminine, some days I wouldn't. Only within like the last maybe couple of years, the term non-binary started floating around a bit more. And I, th I sort of thought, yeah, like that's nice. It feels comfortable. And so I've taken that on. Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's sort of just like constantly changing. And I think that's okay and, until you feel comfortable. And who knows, in a couple of years, there may be another term that um, feels more comfortable. And that's fine. Absolutely. I, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine um, maybe about three years ago. And I guess I was kind of wrestling with the idea of I don't identify as male per se because I don't like what that generally stands for. I don't like that when you think of, of male people, you think of heterosexual men, you think of kind of men who are destructive and men who are fucking up the planet and the world and, you know, gender politics and just all the, the shit that's involved in that. Men's lives and matter. <laughs> totally, my God. <laughs> So <laughs> and I guess I wanted to remove myself from that place. But, you know, my friend was saying, so what does that make you? And, and I just remember thinking, I don't really know, but I know that I don't want to be this one thing here that that stands for. And, and I guess I don't want to just be identified as a gay person because that doesn't necessarily mean it. there's problematic gay people, gay men as well. You know, it's, it, it doesn't really fit. And, and over time, you know, as you said a couple of years ago, the term non-binary and the idea of non-binary people and what that means and, and who, who we are in that world and how fluid that can be started to become a thing. And I had that conversation again with a friend and she said, this sounds like you've finally sorted it out. And I said, well, I don't think I have because it will be a journey, you know, that as, as you say, in a couple of years time, maybe there's another term, maybe there's another kind of split in that, that mm. means this becomes one thing and that becomes another. And I really identify with the idea of keeping your eyes open and carrying on on the journey. The journey is a journey. It shouldn't be locked in. You shouldn't say, well, this is me now. And this is it, you know, because every day it's different, right? As, you know, as, as you were saying, some days you feel, 
you feel more super femme. Other days you feel more maybe androgynous. There's, you know, there's like... It's very fluid. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's exactly the same thing for, you know, kind of um, cis women, I'm sure. Like some days you just want to scrape your hair back, not wash it, wear shitty clothes and... It's hard work being a woman, let me tell Absolutely. you. I mean, we can all, we can all vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was interested in, um, you were talking about the beginning of your discovering your femininity and, and passing and, and that kind of thing. How did you start to learn about what was available and what you could do and, and how, you know, whether the hormone treatment was going to be something that would soften and feminize, whether there were other things that you decided to do. Was it just makeup and cosmetics? You know, what, what does that look like? How, how do you kind of find yourself there? Yeah, well, I, I guess I didn't know what the hormones would do because they affect many people differently. Mm. I know within the first two months, I ate like a motherfucker. <laughs> I had so many, much cravings. I was just eating ice cream every night. It was like, what is going on with me? Wow. But yeah, I think I'm on the luckier side of that. And I know my privilege that after a couple of years, I was passing as a woman. And I'm, mm. I'm very lucky with that. And I, I guess I know my privilege there. So I try and speak carefully around this topic because a trans woman does not need to pass to be a trans woman. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And so I was lucky that, yeah, the hormones kind of rounded my face a bit. I hate facial hair, so that was the first thing that needed to go, so I got laser hair removal. Also, I, I mean, I'd only been doing drag for a year, but I'd learned a lot of the makeup tips and tricks about contouring and, and making yourself look a bit more feminine. So, you know, the cutting the crease and everything like that. So... My daily face took a lot of inspiration from drag and sort of helped with that. And so I found a way that my daily routine made me feel confident and look feminine. It's kind of funny. Basically, going through HRT is like another puberty, you know. So it was my second puberty. And because I didn't get to live that teenage years as a female, I was buying the girliest little clothes and stuff. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> like a Disney girly top. And like, it was like, you're dressing a bit too young for how old you are. Like, you yeah, just stop there. <laughs> I guess I'm quite lucky as well that my transition for those first couple of years wasn't met with too much transphobia, mm -hmm. daily transphobia. The only transphobia that I've ever had is um, in the workplace with a few places, which was horrible, sort of workplace bullying that, you can't really prove as well. Mm. Like I sort of go to my supervisors and sort of say, hey, like there's, this is going on. Uh, it's really uncomfortable. And supervisors or owners would say, oh, it must just be a personality clash. It's like, no, it's not. Like, mm. but how do you prove? Like, I mean, it's not mm. like anyone ever said the T word to me in the workplace and that's what they want. It's like, well, is it transphobic then? It's like, well, yes, they're treating me lesser than. <laughs> like even females in the workplace would treat me lesser than them, like I wasn't an equal, so. Mm. That's fascinating. The kind of the, like almost gaslighting behaviour from bosses to be like... You sort it this out? Is, yeah, yeah. This isn't happening. Not, yeah. You just need to have a conversation. Yeah, it got to one point at a cafe that I was working at where the chef was misogynistic. He'd treat the woman terribly in the, in the workplace and I ended up being the one to stick up for all the females there. It was actually quite funny. So I was the manager of this cafe and it was just before filming House of Drag. And so I had had enough of this cafe. The owners were shit. Don't go to Rude Boy Deli in the city. <laughs> ah, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and I was doing the rosters. And 
our payday was on Tuesday. And so I did the roster for the next week, rostering me off for um, the Monday and Tuesday. And then once like, we got paid, I just w- was like, I'm not going to show up for work because it was just got to a point where it was horrible. Um, the bullying, just the, oh, everything, mixture of everything. Then like the Friday coming up, I got a call from the producer of House of Drag and was like, hey, so um, you're not going to be coming in on the uh, Tuesday to film. Um, you're going to be an intruder and come in a few days later. And I was like, fuck, that means I'm going to have to go to work on the Wednesday. Oh. <laughs> like, because it was annoying. Anyway, because I was just going to go away and not have my phone, obviously. <laughs> so it was, they would, anyway, so I show up to work on Wednesday. I was like, here we are. And the chef just said one little thing to me and I turned around in front of all the workers and was just like, you are a misogynistic pig and I hope you never have a daughter because I would not want her to go through that. Amazing. And the workplace was just silent, looked at me and I said, mic drop, see you later. (laughs) Um, I would never do anything like that, but it just got to this point. And because I was like, oh, it's fine. I'm going to film a reality show. I'm all good. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. I really um, love that you mentioned the idea of passing as something that doesn't need to be part of being trans and and everyone's experience and expression is is completely different it's something i think that that isn't really talked about enough we get this this idea of you know the caitlin jenner having like enormous amounts of surgery and and wigs and hair systems and you know this kind of crazy thing as being an expression of being a trans woman but and i guess it kind of ties back into what we were talking about with the sort of non-binariness of the world now as well it's a really exciting time to be fluid and and i guess curious and wanting to discover your um, your expression, whatever it would be. And um, yeah, I, I, I love that you brought that up because it's something that's really important and honouring the way that people decide to express themselves and respecting that is something that, you know, we, we don't talk about enough, I don't think. Yeah, I think, um, and that's the beauty of non-binary being a more uh, adaptable term now. I'll be honest, a couple of years ago when non-binary was being used a bit more and um People were saying non-binary does fall under the trans umbrella. And to start with, I was like, I was a bit ignorant. I sort of was like, well, no, because anyone can be non-binary. Anyone can present the way they do. But you will never understand the experience of a trans woman having to live a life trying to pass or a trans man trying to pass. There's, There's a different kind of transphobia that you can encounter when you are trans binary Mm. And that was how I thought to start with. But then talking to more people who identify as non-binary, no, they still suffer from gender dysphoria, perhaps. They still may be misgendered. So when I sort of learned a bit more about that, I did realise, yes, you've got transgender as the umbrella term. You have trans-binary. You have non-binary. And then that comes into the passing side of things where... Now having that uh, label to use is saying non-binary, it's giving people who are a trans man or trans woman a bit more like self-love with not having to feel the pressure to have surgery to look a certain way. You Mm. can be transgender and not have to fit a binary. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. And I feel like that'll help a lot more people with their gender dysphoria, that they, they don't have to look a certain way. 
And so I think it's amazing now that we have this um, sort of the fusing of the two trans non-binary. Mm, that's a really beautiful way of putting it. That's, yeah, that's that's really succinct and, and just um, puts it all into the different layers that are there. But, you know, as as you say, under under one umbrella, it's, it's gorgeous. Thank you for that. That's a lovely way of putting it, yeah. That speaks so clearly to the, I guess, the thought process I've been having for the last maybe six months or so. Like, I quite often, in the dialogues about, like, non-binaryism and transness, Personally, like I still, if I'm asked for an opinion as a gender diverse person, there's this part of me that just do- it doesn't feel trans enough to be able mm. to, you know, and I think what you've described and the, I guess, the eloquence with which you've put that, I think really is inclusive of all trans experiences and the vastness of trans experience and the vastness of non-binary experiences. And I think... As a society, we're like socialized into, obviously we're socialized into like binary thinking. And I guess that's the beauty of transness and non-binariness is it kind of, it explodes the binary almost. It's just like, okay, well, (laughs) enough of that. (laughs) But I think binary thinking is ingrained not only in our expressions of gender, not just expressions of gender, but our feelings of gender, but also the ways we love, even in probably like day-to-day tasks. Like it's, it, it goes right through mm. our whole, like to categorize and put into boxes different things. And I think particularly in the queer community, which for centuries under like colonialism has been, for decades, was just like the gays and the lesbians. Mm. I think still to this day, our communities have such a long way to go to actually um, to blow apart the binary, even in in the way in which we relate to each other. And I'm not I'm not speaking about like people shouldn't be gay or people shouldn't be lesbian. Like people just be who you are. But it's something I've encountered in my romantic life. I guess it's like there's this feeling of because. I am a certain way and because I am this, that I am like a threat to mm. the sexuality or like the sexual existence mm. of the pool of people who I am attracted to. And I guess it's it's like internalised misogyny, right? It's like there is... 100%. M- misogyny is like the root of of a lot of transphobia, non-binary phobia. Is that a mm. thing? Can we, call, is that a, can we call that a thing here and now? But deeply rooted, you know, like there was gay cis men who say awful things about like vaginal anatomy and stuff like that. It's like these tropes that have existed for centuries kind of now also are kind of flowing through into this kind of exploded binary, Mm. wonderful Mm. realm over here. Um, Yeah, just some thoughts. Yeah, I think with, with that, you know, talking about gender and now sort of sexuality, I think a lot of people need to unpack why they think that way. Yeah. It's like gay men saying, well, would you date a trans man? You're attracted to men, right? And then they sort of freak out and they don't know how to answer that. And it's like, there's something up here that you need to unpack why why you wouldn't want to date a trans man. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And that comes totally. down to 
the misogyny that's sort of been just taught or passed mm. down, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm. Some of the worst trans and non-binary phobia that I've seen is in the gay community, you know. It's, mm. um, it's definitely, you know, people thinking that they've come into this safe little world where they feel like, you know, um, they can be whatever themselves is. But as soon as that safety that they've created for themselves is threatened in any way, then they will lash out in the same way that that cis-het people will, sit, will lash mm. out. And it's really unfortunate. And as you say, hopefully it does lead to the possibility of, of people, um, you know, starting to unpack what those feelings are, starting to unpack what it is they they really think about themselves and how they feel like they fit into, you know, this binary that's a new thing for people to look at. Have you come across any kind of transphobia in the drag community? How, how has that been for you since you've... You've come out. Yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely there, but I feel like I haven't been a victim of transphobia in the drag community myself. But there are little things like I feel a pressure in some ways as a, a trans woman doing drag to present myself differently in drag. So I've moved more towards like a campier drag face mm. to be accepted by gay men who do drag. Like you're doing drag properly. You're not sort of like resting on something which is what people assume a trans woman doing drag does. Mm. I mean, that probably is in a way transphobia in drag, sort of the pressures of sort of people looking down on a trans woman who does drag. So I've definitely felt that pressure to push myself down that direction. Now, that's not to say that my drag isn't what I want because I love camp. I love that style (laughs) of drag. That is me. That always has been. But I have felt that pressure to push myself down that route. Mm, interesting. I, I think back to, um, like, you both are, and probably most of our listeners are way, way, way too young to, um, you probably weren't even born, actually. But um, <laughs> in the early 90s, there used to be a club in Auckland called Alfie's, and that was a gay club. They would have maybe four nights a week. They had a review show there. All of the queens who performed were trans women. All of them were, like, drop-dead, incredible, like, the most beautiful women in Auckland. Like, you you couldn't debate that they were the pinnacle of feminine perfection. And there was one queen who was a gay man, and out of respect for the women at the end of every show, he would pull his wig off. It was a really interesting flip on, you know, this idea of the drag race world that we're in now where trans women are being accepted into the drag community. Trans women are being Mm. seen as something that is allowed on drag race that, you know, these 14-year-olds sitting in their bedrooms watching drag race on their computers can now see as a form of drag. You know, how we've come completely 360. Yeah, yeah to the idea that a trans woman is acceptable in the drag community. It's so crazy to me because I remember going and watching those shows. These women were stunning. There were two sisters, two Croatian women. You would see them anywhere that you went, a cafe in Koimarama or something. They would walk in. All the men's jaws would would Mm -hmm. hit the floor. Every woman would just be, you know, feigning and fawning over them and just going, oh, my God, you're so beautiful. They were powerful and they were incredible. And they had this amazing performance expression, which was part of 
how they decided to earn their living, but how they they decided um, was their expression, their creative expression. You know, incredible dancers, amazing singers. Yep, sounds like me, yeah. Oh, I don't know about the singing. (laughs) But going on what you said there about making a living, like for trans women throughout 70s, 80s, even into the 90s, even today, (laughs) trans women only had two options of work a lot of the time. It was drag or sex work. Mm. And I think a lot of people have forgotten that. And while I say I'm quite lucky in my trans experience, I haven't experienced too much transphobia apart from the workplace. And I've, I've been someone who's done hospitality all my life. And up until 24, I was the token gay at most workplaces and it was mm. fine, you know, uh, or being white and a male. So I had those two privileges. And then working in hospitality as a trans woman, I was, yeah, talked down to, uh, made to feel like I didn't belong and I ended up either getting fired or pushed out or had to leave on my own accord because I didn't feel safe. Mm. And Kaluzi took me in as a, a bartender, as a manager, and then I started doing drag there. And so literally I've gone through a lot of workplaces. Uh, I do Uber driving part-time, which is is a nice little income, but it is kind of a boring job um, <laughs> just driving, you know. But I, I enjoy driving. It's kind of like my little peacetime, I guess, Mm. Uh, even though Auckland traffic's not peaceful. (laughs) So, like, I am of the trans experience where, like, I struggle to find employment and drag was, like, is pretty much my main income. Not right now because we can't work. But um, Mm. so I think people forget that when they see drag, a lot of people think it's, oh, it's just a fun thing. People do it on the side, which it can be for some. But also it is a career for some people because it may be their only choice. And there's kind of like, it's like two sides of the coin with drag race. I guess there is like the mainstream side of it, the profitization. Is that a word? Profitization? Mm, of, yeah, it's a good word. I don't is know it? if it is. But I, <laughs> like I don't know it. what it is. But um, <laughs> of like, for example, like Word of Wonder, RuPaul. Mm. But there is that trickle down effect of now that drag is becoming so popular, there's a lot of new fans coming in, Mm. which means like we're getting a lot more work, which is like that's the pros of drag race. You know, there are the cons, but also uh, if you're listening, RuPaul, I love it so much. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But like that's for me is, is my views on that trickle down effect of drag race. Like it is giving us work, the ones that, this is our career, and a lot of us trans girls, um, I think of like Trinity Ice mm-hmm. uh, from the Auckland drag scene who's been doing it a long time and like she's thriving at the moment and mm. there's just a lot of us that are and it's it's beautiful to see. It's really beautiful, yeah, and it's, it's amazing to have, um, you know, I know it's been a long time coming, but it is amazing to have, you know, Drag Race finally acknowledging and and talking about how important trans women have always been in the drag world and you know it's it's really beautiful to see and and you know also i mean amazingly exciting to see someone like gotmick you know mm. which is um that's another whole sort of blowing of teenage minds to think that somebody can transition into a supposedly more masculine form, but then still have a very, very feminine side. You know, it's a fascinating time that we live in and, and it's, it's so exciting to see people being given um, a platform for their expression. It's beautiful. Now, um, I'm just going to address the rumours right here and now. Are you on Drag Race? 
No. (laughs) (laughs) And you wouldn't tell us if you were. (laughs) Well, exactly. I mean, if if I was on, I'd still have to say no. So there you go. Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I know. I, I really hope that the cast is good. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) You know, like, Mm. I mean, season one was sort of um, mixed reviews. I mean, if Keita Mean can win, fucking anyone can, can't they? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we all know she won by default anyway. Oh, shit. Oh, girl. The tea, the tea, the tea is piping hot today. (laughs) I guess on these public platforms, though, like I, at the start of the episode, you were, you said some very kind words about, you know, being on this podcast and you said some very lovely things to me. And... I would just like to acknowledge that you've been very, you've had a very public profile for a long time now. Um, And I think I see you as a voice of our generation and and our community. Look, and I don't say that lightly, my darling. I, you know, I remember when I was a a burgeoning baby queer and I stumbled across their music. You know, I stumbled (laughs) across, I saw them performing in the clubs and having these examples or these like these beautiful celebrations of queerness be that um I and I say I, I'm gonna say queerness because I think that encapsulates a, a broader sense of identity and experience. It's been so incredible to be led by the experiences which you have shared so generously with our communities. And I think there's so much power in that. And I guess my question is, what has that been like for you in terms of starting in those underground YouTube days mm. to kind of this quite public profile of your journey? And and what's that been like for you to manage to, you know, you said you, you went back home for a little bit. How's that been for you in your journey? I guess because I was so closeted in school, I was never myself, you know, mm. I tried to identify as straight in high school. I had a girlfriend, not to say that um, our love wasn't real. We dated for over a year, which is a long time in high school. That's like marriage in high school. (laughs) (laughs) I now uh, identify as pansexual because I have found myself attracted to females, to anyone, sort of like pan slash a. I don't know if those two can fit together, but I'm going to make it happen. (laughs) I wanted to be in the school productions. I wanted to sing, but I just couldn't. I was just so scared. And so I think being on YouTube gave me that little um, boost that I needed and I found the confidence because one of my most popular videos at the time, I think I got taken down for copyright, but um, I reenacted Britney Spears' Piece of Me music video. I think it got up to like 200,000 views, which at the time, that was a lot. Like this is 2008, nine. like 200,000 then was like, shit, that's almost viral, you know? Mm. Yeah. And there's no way at that time when I was 19 that I would have stood in front of a room of 30 people and danced. No way. But 200,000 people online seeing me kind of made me go, well, that's kind of the same thing. I'm not physically there, but people are still watching me in that way. Actually, the one thing that got me to Auckland was um, I got casted in a sort of a big brother thing. It was uh, the Edge Next Top Friend competition through the Edge radio station. And it was um, a reality radio show where you were in a house for a month in Auckland. And it was 
on the radio, there were webcams streaming 24-7 in the house. So people could just log on and see you. So, And I was cast because I was known as the internet celebrity of New Zealand at the time, I guess. <laughs> and that was what sort of the crossover happened was you're going to be on radio talking live. You're going to be streamed online, which I kind of was already had a bit of experience with that. And so being able to vlog to a camera like, hi, YouTube, welcome to my channel. So in today's video, you know, that persona there helped me be able to like talk on radio or because um, The Edge had their own TV station at the time, The Edge TV. Mm, mm, so mm. there was kind of that fusion happening there from internet to like real life. And fun fact, I always bring it up because I just want to drag her. Um, JJ Feeney outed me on live radio. Um, no. Yeah, girl, it was... And she she feels so bad, but like I I brush it off, it's fine. Um, <laughs> so what happened is like each contestant entered the house one by one, and like it was like you're live on radio, like and there's the next contestant, and she was like, um, so Patrick, what do you think of the other gay contestant? And I looked at her because I hadn't even come out on YouTube yet. I was 19. And she looked at me, she saw my face and quickly like changed the subject and moved on, like professional about it. But then like they cut to an ad break and she was like, oh my God, I thought you were out. And I'm like, um, oh my God, I'm bi. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I never let it down. But like, it's, yeah, it's funny looking back on it now. And I placed third. I almost won $10,000 anyway. And Post that experience, literally a couple of weeks later, I came out as gay on YouTube. It sort of was the push that I needed. And then I moved to Auckland. Then that's when Paddy Boy sort of came around. So I guess there was just this like gradual, like I didn't get to live those experience years in high school from 16 onwards because I dropped out of school for bullying and freaking all that shit, you know, as a queer person, you're like, oh, school, being dyslexic. Oh, I couldn't, you know, there's just so many reasons why I dropped out. And Yeah, there's all these little stepping stones that sort of helped bring my confidence to me being on YouTube, being on camera, being on radio, and then making music. And then I think my first performance as Paddy Boy was maybe like 21 or 22, um, was my first ever live performance. And um, I performed at Legend Bar on uh, Karangahope Road, was one of my first major performances. And so, yeah, it was just a gradual thing. And like... I mean, now, like, which is crazy, like, last year I performed at Big Gay Hour, which was, that was, that's the pinnacle. That is, that is, a, that is the peak. I was like, this is it. As a, when I first moved to Auckland at 19, going to the Big Gay, I never knew what pride was. There was no pride in Fakatane. Like, what? The only queer things that I knew was Rocky Horror or, like, the, <laughs> the gay stereotype 90s sitcom character, you know? Like, that's all I knew. Mm. Oh, Rosie O'Donnell, you know. Uh, you know? <laughs> But like, that's all I knew. And so then seeing this, what's a big gay out? Oh, my God. Oh, there's Miss Ribena. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, And then getting asked to perform, I had a 10-minute, sorry, 15-minute set where I performed a bunch of my songs. Then this year just gone, um, this year, yep. Yeah. Lockdowns or blah, blah, blah. Yeah, honestly, mm. this year's now three years. I got to host on the main stage at Big Gay Art. I've hosted it uh, out here square for Auckland Pride. And just like, it's just so weird that like the 16-year-old me would always want to be what I am now. And I finally am. Me and Keita spoke about this recently. It's like, how crazy is it that we are right now, we're literally living our dream and it's mm. our career. 
me being five years old, putting a a towel around my head, pretending it's long hair and with my, head, my, my you know, we all did it, you know, with the comb and pretending you're sitting in front of a mirror like, I want to be a pop star and now I'm a drag queen. I'm a pop drag queen, like a pop princess <laughs> drag queen. Like I, I'm living my dream and that that's just so awesome to me. <laughs> it's beautiful. And I think so, so aspirational in terms of, you know, for anybody who may stumble across this podcast episode and to... Be able to hear that that is attainable. Mm, possible, yeah. It, yeah. It's so powerful. It's mm. so powerful. And it's honestly, I I remember seeing you, you know, back when after the little kind of split and oh, oh. You know, oh, the schism, <laughs> there was a launch for the Pride Festival at the cafe in the town hall. And I just remember seeing, just, you hosting that, it just you were sparkling, babes, oh. and it wasn't just your eyeshadow. Oh, <laughs> it was your, your whole aura. Truth um, is, I was so nervous because that was like my first, I guess, professional hosting gig as a drag queen. Was that your first? Like I had hosted um, at Phoenix Cabaret. Um, there was like a, a drag night where I was the host, but mm. that was sort of in an environment where it's like there's a bunch of drag, there's an audience that love drag, it's that, but like an Auckland Pride launch event, you've got all the corporate people there. I was like, who am I? Like, this is serious. Like, I was so nervous. Yeah. Oh, girl, you had us in the palm (laughs) of your hand. Oh, thank you. I guess it's like, I love hosting, but I'm petrified of it. And I feel like just throwing myself in the deep end and fighting it is like the best way to get through it. And I feel like my hosting style is a bit clumsy and silly and I'm I'm very like self-deprecating myself, kind of like, Oh, what's the next thing? Oh, that's right. Uh, oh, you know, kind of like, oh, where's my notes? Oh, Jesus, what's the next segment? Oh, and here's Blaze from NHIV. Or I don't know, like, I kind of take the piss out of my hosting style, which is my hosting persona, I guess. Because <laughs> who wants to go up there and be, and hey, next up we've got... Oh, yeah. Have fun <laughs> yeah, with yeah, it, yeah, I yeah. guess. Well, it's way more accessible. Yeah, I want to be relatable. Like, I don't yeah. I don't want to be, just because I'm on the stage and I'm the one hosting, like, I still want to, like, reach the audience that's in front of me, I guess. And did you host with Hugo at the party as well, yes, didn't at you? The, yeah. yeah, the Pride party after the march, uh, just right. recently gone. Yeah. Yeah, and that was amazing because, like, me and Hugo are kind of, we're, we're basically, like, opposites in every way, but, like, like the yin and yang, I guess. In a, mm. Oh, you heard it here first. Um, <laughs> you go in Gina, 69. Um, like the, they're a trans man, I'm a trans woman. They're a drag king, I'm a, tra- a trans king. <laughs> what the fuck? A, a drag king, a queen. Oh, my God. Um, so, like, we've both sort of the opposite experience in, in the same realm, which is mm. kind of nice. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Um, now, we were doing a little bit of um, a bit of prep and a bit of prep. Oh, I'm always doing prep. prep. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, a bit of preparation for this recording and had a little listen to your episode on your podcast about witchcraft. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and you are, I guess, in, what's the term, like, present company, pleasant company, and kindred spirit company. Hmm. Would you be willing to talk us through your totally. your journey with witchcraft? Yeah. It's a weird one because, I again, with the labels, like I've never mm. labelled myself as anything like that. Yeah. But, like, I guess I there's been people in my life that are sort of, like, 
sort of hippies and they've got their little crystals and the incense around, very stereotypical. But I think my journey into witchcraft was through the beautiful green stuff that should have become legal. Um, (laughs) When I consume it, it opens up some gateways to things. And it's very like, oh no, but like, like, oh, I can feel the earth below me. I can, you know, things like that. And just like, there's like a spirit within everything. The force mm. is the force is strong. Um, <laughs> I guess it was just my craft. A lot of witches uh, have their art and sort of like through witchcraft, you create it a bit more. And so for me, it was uh, my music. And so music was a way of me telling stories which were spells, I guess, like each song that I've ever released. I I, I do it all electronically. I, I can't play any instruments, but every little sound I sort of put together and it's like a pattern and then getting high, I kind of like figure out things that sort of are in place with each other. And I've always been a bit like superstitious with little things as well, like touch wood or like um, just having my bed a certain way, like feng shui or just like there's so many little things, little different crafts that I've always followed but never understood what it is. And when I opened myself up to witchcraft a few years ago, it was perfect timing. There was a drag show going on uh, that Lady Lay was producing called Tainted Nightmare. Ah, love Tainted Nightmare. Yeah. And the theme was Spellbound. And I was sort of looking into a few different deities. I've looked into Wicca, but Wicca kind of wasn't for me because sort of this new age witchcraft that still had its own restrictions within it. It's sort of wicker was very like, there's freedom, but it's kind of like, but there's, it's still telling me how I should practice my craft. And so I sort of did a bit of wicker and then realized that I'm a bit more like eclectic really, and just sort of pick up different things. And through that drag show, um, it's so weird. So I meditated one night, got a bit high, sat in my room, only had a candle on, had my wand. I actually made a wand out of a Puhutakawa branch oh, um, that I found. And it's like this perfect, like, um, is it kind of like Bellatrix's wand from, oh, not Harry yeah. Potter, cancelled. Um, the kind of like, <laughs> it goes up and around that way, kind of a bend. Mm. And it was like that shape. And so I, I scraped all the, the bark off and found a crystal to fit in the end of it. Anyway, that's my wand. <laughs> um, oh, wow. <clears throat> and Amazing. I was meditating one night. And Bastet was in my mind, this beautiful cat goddess from ancient Egypt. And then the weirdest thing happened. I felt something on my hand. And so I turned the light on and there was a ladybug there. I was like, the windows are shut. My door is shut. Where did you come from? And it was kind of like this confirmation because ladybug, beetles, Egypt, scarabs. And then I was thinking of Bastet. And so... I did this whole drag performance um, using Bastet as like this cat goddess guiding me through the wolf. And so I did a, I actually did a show recently for Halloween with that performance of Monster by Lady Gaga. And there's a lyric that she goes, he's a wolf in disguise. And so like the wolf was my demon and I was the feline. Yeah, there's just little ways that I sort of incorporate witchcraft and like the feelings and the vibes. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's so gorgeous. It's really cool. The other people that I've talked to about witchcraft in the past are often people who've had a very sort of internal, you know, a lot of solitary time as as a young person. And I guess that kind of automatically makes you more of a sort of a, a considered and thoughtful person. 
if you were bullied when you were at school or, you know, the, these these types of experiences can sometimes create a very sort of inwardness and a very thoughtfulness about the way that you look at the world. And I mean, I definitely agree with, you know, the the things like the bed needs to be in the right position, the, you know, the cup needs to be placed the right way with the handle for, you know, all of these kind of crazy mm. little things that are all really rituals, aren't they? They're rituals in life and rituals in, um, in the way that we express ourselves, I guess. It's a very sort of drawing um, expression, witchcraft, you know, and, and everyone has their own version of it. And as you say, you know, there's, have, have you looked very much into um, the green witches? Yeah, because I, I feel very like earthy sometimes. Like I try to eat plant-based as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I'm not some vegan activist, like everyone should be vegan because there are cultural reasons why mm-hmm. people consume meat around mm-hmm. the world with different um, indigenous cultures. But I feel like if I'm doing my part by reducing especially red meats and dairy, Mm -hmm. you know, I recycle as much as I can, all those little things. And it's more than just me doing it for society. It's me like listening to like earth, I Mm. guess, in a way and like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's a really great book that I've got actually, which is um, is called The Green Witch. I'll lend it to you sometime. It's quite fascinating. Just the, you know, the idea of being very kind of considered and respectful of nature and, and feeling the vibration of nature, which, mm. you know, you, you touched on just then. Good vibration. Absolutely. Marina, Marina oh, do you have it there? Abramovich. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. There Good it is. Good vibration. Yeah. exactly yeah um i guess we wanted as well to you know moving from witchcraft on to the house of drag Mm. how was your experience on the house of drag is have you got any any interesting little gems yeah it was great i loved my time on there it was weird going in as as an intruder though it's kind of two sides to that, like going in three, um, well, you know, one episode is filmed in a day. It's not a week. <laughs> it's not like Drag Race UK. No. Um, well, well, it is, apparently. Um, I got cast. Uh, it was like, right, we're filming in two weeks, so you kind of get your stuff ready. It's not as challenging as Drag Race, apparently. We didn't have, like, the runways to prep for. It was kind of like, okay, there's going to be this acting challenge. There's going to be this, and so you just put whatever outfits you have. And at the time, I did not have much drag. It was not very good. Um, it was kind of like, literally, I went in with everything I had, which was enough for like, I think maybe eight days kind of thing. I was like, but I think there were 10 days in total. So it was kind of like, oh, I'm pushing it. Might have to, I, I did actually, I restyled one of my wigs multiple times to look differently because I, I didn't have any other wigs. Um, the filming started on Tuesday. There was the photo shoot on the Monday, the day before. So basically it was like Monday and then Tuesday on the Friday. So like literally just the weekend before I got a call from the producer to say, um, so you're going to be an intruder, which means you go in on day four of filming. And I was like, wait, what? Like, is that going to be a good thing or a bad thing? Or like, and so I agreed to do it. See, I'm, I'm someone, because I've had experience with YouTube and making online content, I'm kind of on the mindset of like, you just want to make a good television show. Mm. Like, it's a reality show first, a competition second, and that's what a lot of people don't really understand with those kind of things. And so I was like, yeah, no, I agree. Like, I'll, I'll be on the side of the producers and do what they want, well, while being me, of course. So it was a long wait, and then finally went in, and it was very 
straight away the the storyline was like intruders versus the OGs. You know, like it was very, they just, and like I knew some of them, like I knew Electra beforehand, I knew Bionica, Jen I knew for a little bit. I was really sad that I didn't get to see like Rhubarb or Kelly because mm. uh, I totally would have slept with Kelly in the house anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, if you're listening, hit Gina up. <laughs> Someone in the house did almost sleep with them. Um, oh, anyway. wow, that's tea. <laughs> that's teasus. That, that's that's teasus. That's teasus. So I went in with like, I'm here to make good TV. Day one, I was like producing myself. Like there's the scene where I go into the bathroom to like face the other people that were already there and was like, so um, what's going on here? Who, who's been in the top? Who's been in the bottom? And they didn't want to tell me anything. And like then the cameras were like, okay, Gina, hang on, can you just pause? They brought in other cameras. Okay, Gina, can you just repeat that what you said? Because they were like, Gina's on, on her own wa- wavelength here. <laughs> so they had to catch up with me to film the show, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I was in my head quite a bit. So when I say I was producing myself, I think maybe a little bit too much because I wasn't just – letting myself go and being silly. I was constantly like, how's the audience going to perceive me? How am I going to come across? Am I going to be a villain? Am I going to even be funny? And so I would sort of sit back, but I was smart. You see the cameras on you. So when they, you know, they say, and go, I was like, I want as much airtime as possible. So I'm going to react to every little thing. And today's challenge is this. Oh, huh. Ooh. you know, I was pulling all of the facials because I knew that the editing team would love those cutaways of a queen reacting to something. So I was very smart with that kind of stuff. And like I did okay. Like I, I thought like every episode I was like, fuck, I'm going to be in the bottom, except for the one, the acting challenge where I was smart because <laughs> I'm dyslexic and learning lines is just like impossible for me. And so I literally skimmed through and picked the character with the least amount of lines <laughs> and was like, I'm, being, I'm going to be this character. Electra gave me the outfit to borrow. I only had like four lines. It was so easy. But like those four lines, I was like, I'm going to make them the funniest fucking thing I can. Like one of the lines is, um, you can have all the beef that you want or something talking about, you know, down there. And so I was just like, you can have all the beef like really manly because <laughs> it was unexpected and I just was just like milking it and um, I won the acting challenge which is fucking amazing um, and then from there I think I was sort of consistently in the middle but I was just constantly in my head like I'm going to be shit like how am I going to come across but um, they gave me a really good edit I seemed to do well I came across well I just wish that I'd let myself go a bit more and be more mm-hmm. myself than like focusing on how I come across there was so much tea going on, like, oh, my iconic line, that's tea, sis. Like, that was quite funny. <laughs> I guess the whole discussion of um, assigned female at birth person doing drag was very topical with uh, Lily Loker and then Bionica mm. and mm. Bionica going home, being a person of colour, and they were blaming it on Lily. And, like, it was very, let's push these storylines, mm. which they didn't need to be pushed down that direction, really. And then a mixture of the people that were there from day one being very pissed off at us for coming in late. It's like, oh, they've, they've got a head start. because they. And one of the contestants um, was sort of like, well, we've already used up three days' worth of outfits and you're coming in fresh. That's unfair. And it's like, it's kind of not because we've also got a target on our backs because you're going to put us in the bottom now or, like, things like that. There was a lot of pressure with that. And then, like, I made a big boo-boo. The episode that I ended up going home was... <laughs> 
this is what I mean by getting in my head. So the difference with like Drag Race where you're only ever filmed and that's it and then you don't interact with anyone else. House of Drag was very relaxed. Like we'd film from, the cameras would be able to start filming you from seven till about five or six or something. We'd have a couple of breaks throughout the day. But obviously like we'd be all sleeping in the house overnight. We could talk with each other, kiki, whatever. So like there was no like on camera at all times. It was kind of like on and off. Mm. And the night before, we kind of got the order of the challenges. And the one that I wanted to stay there for mostly was the top four one, which was a verse challenge because I, I write songs, I, I can rap, I can sing. And I, I was like, I need to be there for the verse challenge. But that was the one two days away. The one the next day was um, the talent show kind of one. And my talent was just rapping and singing my own song, which I was like, oh, I'll be fine with this. But then I found out Spanky was doing a live song and I was like, fuck. Electra brought in all of her backup dancers. Bionica brought her Vogue house. And I was like, oh, shit, uh, there's a chance I could be in the bottom and go home. And so the night before, off cameras, I made this stupid mistake because at the time we could sort of tell that Electra and Spanky were definitely the top two runners to win the competition. And I was like, here comes my little like reality show, my survivor. Like we all know Survivor, one of the best reality shows ever. I was like, this is my survivor moment. And Bionica walked past my room and I was like, hey, girl, um, can we make a pack? Like whatever happens tomorrow if either of us win, we should put Spanky and Electra in the bottom because, like, they're the top two. We need to get rid of, rid of one of the people that are going to probably win, right? She's like, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Next morning, we start recording. We're playing Twister, Electra. So, Gina, I heard you want to put me in the bottom. <laughs> I froze. I No words came out of my mouth. I was just like, oh, yeah. I don't know what I said. I froze. My plan had been exposed. Bionica, being the little buddy that she is with the people that she wants to, exposed my plan, also exposed it to Spanky, who was one of my friend, best friends on the show. We came in together and, like, there's me, like, turning my back on her, like, trying to blindside my own intruder buddy. And then I ended up being at the bottom and being sent home. But, like, um, I'm, I'm gutted that that was my last episode. But it, <laughs> it kind of serves me right for, like, getting um, desperate being like, how can I get to the next challenge? I just want to be for the next challenge. And I made the mistake of like coming up with that plan. I mean, it was a good kind of survivor plan. And I, I kind of wanted to get that on camera the next day, like sort of play. I want my confessionals were going to be, huh, so I'm going to, this is my plan. But because my plan got exposed before I had time to like create it, because I want, my goal was to make good TV and like be there for the challenge I wanted, but it didn't go the way I wanted. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> and I was so nervous about the edit. I was like, they're going to edit me to be this villain, da, da, da. But um, lucky they gave me a nice edit. <laughs> it just made me look stupid, but it's fine. <laughs> Never trust Bionica. Jokes, love you. <laughs> what was it like after the show aired, like in terms of your platform, your story, your journey? Mm. How did the, I guess, the aftermath of House of Drag, I guess, affect things like your career, but also your your visit? as the iconic trans person <laughs> that we know you to be. Well, it definitely lit a fire under my ass to, like, take my drag seriously. You know, mm-hmm. during filming, I turned to um, Keita. Yeah, I think it was Keita. And I was like, um, oh, girl, I just walked out of my job for the show. Like, you know, I, I did that. And then the next day, Anita was like, oh, I heard you um, You don't have a job. Um, we, we could use you on the bar at Calusi. I was like, oh, cool. And so that because of everything happens for a reason, you know, so I got that job at Kaluzi working around drag queens every week 
and knowing that my house of drag looks weren't that amazing, my makeup wasn't that amazing, and so I I took the time to like actually invest time and money into my drag and take mm. it seriously. I got more performances, and then the show aired. I mean, that was that was the biggest thing in my career at the time because, I mean, now it would be like Big Gay Out and Auckland Pride and stuff, but like at the time, House of Drag was like a streaming show, like, and it was even international, like Australian people were um, watching it and, and Canada mm. as well because it ended up streaming on Out TV in Canada. So like when that happened, it got a lot of fans from Canada following us and um, it definitely like pushed me to like become a better drag artist and I got those gigs and, and yeah, it's just upwards from there and I'm, I'm so glad I did it. Fantastic. Incredible. Incredible. I admire your um, your ability to speak so eloquently about these things. You're so... Um, <laughs> thank you. It's, re- it's just so warm and, and, and uh-huh. thank you for sharing that with us. Gina. Oh, no, no mm. problem. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Well, here we are. And back on the spirit of Transgender Week of Awareness, we thought it might be a great idea to, I guess, discuss and just have a little chat about the types of resources, organisations and support that's out there uh, for our trans whānau, our non-binary whānau to access uh, should they require. Gina, have you ever had any experiences with resources or do you have any recommendations around things that people can access for support? I actually don't. I, I've never really gone through any of that. I think because growing up in the Bay of Plenty, amazing that they have a rainbow youth there now, um, who I met some of them at the Trans Pride last year. But I guess growing up, I never knew anything about that. There were those resources that existed. So I kind of, my support network was through YouTube and meeting people through there. And I mean, some of my longest and best friends I met through YouTube (laughs) and I ended up becoming friends with them in in real life, (laughs) IRL. So I guess I sort of just had to find supportive people and build myself up that way, which if I had known about services at the time, I definitely would have reached mm, out. Mm. I mean, I'm I'm too old for Rainbow Youth now, though. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all, honey? Aren't we all? Yeah, I, that thing about community building, right, is a really, really fascinating thing, particularly now, you know, uh, obviously – in your journey, it was it was at that time where it was kind of like uh, social media was kind of like a burgeoning form of networking, and now, particularly for like you know, you were saying before those like sixteen year olds who just they're just on fire with their their drag looks as soon as they start drag. But similarly, the access to community online for younger people who may be coming to terms with their transness or coming to terms with their gender diversity is so widely available and... Even like on TikTok, like sometimes on TikTok I see something pop up of some kid talking about non-binary stuff. I'm like... If if that had, like if that you'd seen that when you were younger, it pops up and it puts that question into your head. Like it's so totally. accessible, it's so and, and awesome. And the, the, the like reflecting of identity back at you, I think, is such a powerful thing that up until very recently, I just don't think we've had. You know, we've we've had to as queer people had to seek out community, mm. seek out the examples and the role models and the aspirations uh, for ourselves and kind of forge those for ourselves, but. It's, yeah, we're at this really interesting point in time where if platforms like TikTok and even Instagram, you know, it's immediate. The representation is immediate mm. and, you know, algorithms formulate feeds of content, which is kind of for you. Facebook's like, yeah, we working. know you gay. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, 
And yeah, so is Spotify. You know, apparently Spotify is like, yeah, we know you're gay. Yeah. It's a really interesting time. And I suppose, you know, Steph, it must be so fascinating seeing that, you know, from, from knowing people in your youth and, and what their experiences are like and I guess what the experiences of youth today are. It must be a really interesting comparison, I guess. Mm, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mentioned um, those um, amazing women at Alfie's and, you know, there was a very small trans community in Auckland back in those days. And a lot of them really came from having left New Zealand and gone to Sydney and experienced kind of life there and gotten support um, through the, the different um, things that were available there. But I really think of, of those kind of people as being huge sort of warriors in our community, you know, because they, I mean, warrior, not warrior. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there was no way forward. It was like, how do I do this? This is what I feel. And, you know, it was so... There's no rule book to gender or no anything. No rule book, you know? yeah, so. yeah. And it was it was fully, you know, just seeking it out, working out how you do it. How do I get hormone therapy? How do I have, you know, what kind of um, reconstructive things do I need to do to myself? And it's kind of incredible to think that those people went so far and did such amazing things and and created this sort of very small part of a community that now is growing. And, and now with, you know, as, as you say, social media and, and all of the different avenues and resources that there are, it's something that can help people from a younger age and, and you know, maybe rescue some of the people who didn't make it back in those days because, you know, life is really hard if you're in that dysphoria and you're feeling, you know, confused and there's no way out and you don't, you don't see that there's any other way. I said it before and, and, and I'll say it again, it's um, we're living in a really lucky time to have such amazing support networks and, and so much exposure to the possibilities of how we can be in the world. And I know that we'll include um, in the show notes a, a whole bunch of, of different organisations and there were a few things that we were talking about before we came on. There's a lot of resources for trans people to receive medical help at a discounted rate. And I think one of the things that our producer Vic was talking about was um, the hair removal resources. Hauranga, right? I've, yes. I, saw, yeah, yeah. I saw someone gender post. Dynamics. Yeah. Gender yeah. Dynamics. Yeah. Yes, yeah. they have partnered with Gender Minorities Aotearoa. Obviously, G- GMA is based in um, Te Whanganui Atara in Wellington. But yeah, they've through their partnership with Gender Dynamics offer. I think the post it's said very cheap. <laughs> it's like tw- it's like a twenty dollar flat rate. Flat you just fee. pay, yeah, and that's and then you can use it as girl. That shit set me back fifteen hundred dollars. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Gender Dynamics is a phenomenal. Like they're, that, that, they're so gorgeous, and just seeing how even in the last three years their growth. I think because they partnered with Rainbow Youth, didn't they? And that's how Rainbow Youth has. I guess, established its presence in Tauranga is with mm. their partnership with Gender Dynamics. And just the growth of the service delivery in the Bay of Plenty is phenomenal. Yeah, that mm. makes me so happy, obviously, growing up there and just not knowing anything or having no resources, and now that yeah. there are. And so I, um, yeah, last year went back to Tauranga and performed at a trans pride in the park thing um, free. Like, I, you know, no, no, I didn't claim. Beautiful. You know, I didn't want to get paid because it's, it's just like that's where I grew up. And mm. um just the fact that those organizations are doing something there was just like, this mm. is my way of giving back now. It's yeah. really nice. Yeah. So fun. And 
How beautiful for you as a person who hails from Bay of Plenty and Fakapane yeah, to like be able to... full circle yeah, thing. Like yeah. I, the mm. last time, well, not the last time I was there, but like the last time I was there from school was just like this closeted, shy person. And then I showed up and as a bloody drag queen, you know, like... <laughs> Amazing. Are you going to be doing anything special for Trans um, Awareness Week? I'm here. I'm Mm. I'm aware. Um, No, but I actually did want to maybe post on my stories some of my favourite trans artists um, Mm. around. So I was thinking of just doing something like that, like sort of using my platform to promote others um, is is what I enjoy doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was thinking about, you know, you said you you went back to Tauranga and and performed there and I wondered, you know, in this kind of lockdown time that we're in where we can't do, you know, such public things, um, it's a really beautiful um, way of marking Time. I've been doing sort of live shows as well, online drag shows. Uh, I've hosted a few of them and, again, like used my skills as an online producer to um, cast other drag artists and give them a stage. Mm. And that's been really rewarding as well. Yeah, cool. Amazing. That's such amazing community building, but not only community building, but community uplifting yeah. work. If anybody who's listening and, and we're still in lockdown and Gina's still um, producing <laughs> online online live shows, head to at Miss Gina on Instagram. Uh, is it yeah. at Miss Gina on all platforms? Yeah, Miss Gina X because Miss Gina, Gina was X. taken, so I just added uh, an X on the great, end. Great, gorgeous. Ugh, at yeah. Miss Gina X across <laughs> all platforms um, to access their content and revel in the iconography that is Miss Jean. Um, I'd just like to quickly note a few more services just while we're here um, that we'll also put links to, but um, even amazing phone counselling services and peer support service that Outline runs. Um, They're, you know, Aotearoa's uh, longest rainbow phone support service that has been running for decades and they have Phenomenal, phenomenal trained peer support services um, for any queer people and particularly gender diverse folk and also people who are allies and and parents to those people who also need support Mm. to support those people in their lives. Um, They can be uh, reached. We'll put their um, details in our show notes as well. As well as if you're living in Tamaki Makoto, there is a transgender support service through Auckland Sexual Health Services called Hauora Tahine. They're an amazing kind of pathway service that help assist people in their journey to receive gender-affirming care as well. Um, And we'll also post their details in the show notes. Fab! Gina, do you have anything you'd like to say to our listeners? Follow me on my social medias. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, oh, one thing that I wanted to say is um, this one time at a party, um, someone overheard someone who is gender diverse make a comment about my gender expression. And this is why it's so important now and so amazing that we have non-binary to use. So this is maybe three, four years ago, I was identifying solely as a trans woman, but I enjoyed kind of just not wearing makeup and putting a beanie on and wearing a sports bra to flatten my chest because sometimes I'm like, I just want to be a bit boyish looking. Who Mm. cares? And someone else overheard someone saying, Gina's not even a real trans woman because I wasn't presenting feminine at the time, you know? That always sort of stuck with me with, like, who is someone to judge the way that someone presents? Mm. A trans Mm. woman is a woman, however they present, a trans Mm. man, non-binary, trans. There's no rule book with how you should present. And that goes back to the 
having to present binary or pass. Like you can be whoever you want. It doesn't matter how you label yourself. Just be the best you you want to be. Feel comfortable wearing whatever clothes, whatever makeup, style your hair. And don't let anyone tell you that you're not who you say you are because you are. You are. Beautiful, 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 wise words. Thank you so much, darling. It's been amazing talking to you. And and it's just um, the eloquence that you speak with is is fantastic. You know, you've covered so much ground and given so many beautiful, encouraging words to people who are, you know, maybe thinking about their gender expression, maybe kind of questioning where they, they go. And, you know, you've, you've opened so much up for us here today. It's been really wonderful. Thank you. Oh, bless you. Bless you. Mm. Bless you all. Thank you so much. Mm, beautiful. <laughs> Blessed be. Blessed be. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed the show. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about next. Tell us on our Instagram, which is endinghiv. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share with all your friends. And check out the show notes for all the juicy links and resources. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Bye.